You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. I hope that this morning you're ready to start a step into a new teaching series because that's exactly what we're going to do. So if you'll reach into your worship guides and take out your teaching notes. Um, Today, uh, as I begin to walk through this message, I'm going to draw from a variety of scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament. So rather than have you turn to all of those passages of scripture, I want you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 and anchor yourself there. Maybe you go to your Bible on your phone, ever how you might get there. And if you don't have a Bible with you, they're going to come up with the screens and the, uh, the, the verses that I don't have you turn to, you'll be able to follow along on the screen. Um, So two weeks ago, uh, we finished uh, a study on the Holy Spirit. And just with that, I'd like to say this, even though we completed the study on the Holy Spirit, my prayer is that wouldn't just be kind of a one and done. But instead, even though we completed a five-week series uh, study on the Holy Spirit, that we would all continue to grow in our desire to know more about who the Holy Spirit is, how He works in our lives, and um, that we would experience Him more. So please continue to contend for that. And if you have questions about the Holy Spirit, seek us out because we can take you to the Word and help you find answers. So we completed that series last weekend. We We had a great resurrection celebration. It was so much fun. And as I said today, we're going to start a a, a new series. I want to set the course uh, for the series uh, by reading you uh, to you a variety of verses. And all of these verses have something in common. So I want you to listen for the common thought in these verses because it's going to help identify the focus of the messages in the weeks to come. So I'm going to begin by reading from Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, uh, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 19, 24 says, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. John 18, verse 36, the first portion says, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What's the commonality in all those verses? kingdom. All of those verses talk about kingdom and specifically they all refer to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So the series that we're launching today is a series of messages that uh, over the next 10 weeks, this is one of our longer series and it's going to focus on the kingdom of God. Um, In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus uh, gave a short teaching on prayer. Uh, And as he modeled prayer, he said, um, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he said, your kingdom come, your will be done. So Jesus prayed, your kingdom come. And in the first weeks of this series, that's going to be the focus of the message, your kingdom come. But he went on and he prayed, your will be done. And so the latter portion of these messages, that'll be the focus, your will be done. Um, depending 
on which translation you might read from, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, can be found, mentioned, referred to uh, between 80 and 120 times. So obviously you could see that it's a very important subject in Scripture. When we read through the Gospels, uh, we find that Jesus taught extensively uh, on the kingdom. But what is it that he was teaching? When Jesus talked about the kingdom, what was he talking about? You know, I think that uh, today, as Christ followers, it's very easy to develop a Christian language, a Christian ease, a Christian vocabulary. And, and it's very easy in that vocabulary to blend in words that sound very spiritual, like kingdom, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. We've all done that. But my question is, do we really know what we're talking about. Do we really understand the concept of the kingdom of heaven when we talk about it, when we refer to it? In other words, what's meant by the word kingdom? And is the kingdom something outward and physical or is the kingdom something inner and spiritual? Um, is there a difference between the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God? Uh, who are the people of the kingdom? What's the church's role in the kingdom? Is the kingdom future or is it now? And these are all questions that throughout the process of this series, we want to unpack, we want to deal with at some point throughout the series. But today, as we're introducing the series, we want to just look at some foundational aspects of the kingdom of God. If you were here for our resurrection service celebration last week, and you may remember that I made a statement, and in the statement I said, as I was building a case for the resurrection, I said, um, of all the world religions, there is only one who claims that their founder came back from the grave after their death. And of course, that was Christianity. And as I was working through this message this weekend, I thought it's interesting that I referred to Christianity as, as a religion. And I suppose in context, because it was being compared to other systems of belief, it wasn't incorrect. But listen, it's very important for us to understand that um, when we refer to, the, uh, to Christianity, it, it cannot just be seen simply as a religion. We, we, it, it, it's, it's not just a religion. And I say that because when Jesus came to earth, Jesus did not come to start a religion. Do you agree with that? Jesus did not come to start a religion. Instead, he came to give us the opportunity to be members of his family and citizens of his kingdom. And this is one of those foundational aspects of the kingdom of God. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God here on earth and open up the possibility that we might be part of the kingdom. Even so, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? Um, I think it's easy uh, when we hear the word kingdom to uh, conjure up thoughts of Netflix movies. The Last Kingdom, King Arthur's Lost Kingdom. Just, just do a search on Netflix, Animal Kingdom. But for the most part, I think when we think of kingdom, we think of something that's archaic something that's, that, that, that's obsolete. Well, kingdom can actually have two meanings. It can mean a territory uh, or a people over whom a king reigns, 
or it can talk about a king's rule or a king's reign, R-E-I-G-N, or a king's authority. And in context, when we consider the original language of the New Testament, the word kingdom primarily means uh, rule, reign, instead of a realm. It's talking about uh, authority. And so when we read about, when we talk about the kingdom of God or being a citizen of the kingdom of God, we're talking about God's rule and his authority over all creation. God's rule, God's authority over all creation. And when we're considering the kingdom, there are four um, foundational concepts that have to come into play and we have to connect if we're truly going to understand the kingdom. And here they are. In a kingdom, there has to be a king, right? There has to be a final authority. There has to be one who has the rule, the reign, the one who calls the shots. In a kingdom, there has to be a people, right? And the people of the kingdom are a people who willingly submit themselves to the lordship to the rulership, the reign of the king over the kingdom. And in a, a kingdom, there has to be a rule. In other words, there has to be um, a way of life that's established within the kingdom. And that way of life dictates the relationship between the king and the people of the kingdom. And finally, there has to be a realm. There has to be a place, a space where the king rules. So how does that translate into the kingdom of God? Well, in the kingdom of God, Jesus is king, right? King Jesus. Jesus is king. He is the Lord. He has the final authority in the kingdom. When you and I are reconciled to God through relationship with Jesus, we become the people of the kingdom or we become citizens of the kingdom. And as citizen kingdoms, we submit ourselves to the king's rule. We submit ourselves to the way of life that's been laid out by the king. What is that for us as Christ followers? That's this. This is, this is the rule. This is the way of life. And this is what establishes, this is what dictates the relationship that we have with God. It's all found right here. And finally, the space or the place where the king rules, it's inward. It's, it's right here. It, it's in our hearts. In other words, when we come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, what we're doing is we're opening up our hearts. We're inviting Jesus through the Holy Spirit to take residence here. And by doing so, what we're really saying is, I, um, I cancel out my own rule and authority in my life, and I surrender to your lordship, to your rule. I make you the ruler. I make you the Lord of my life. And that's what it means to live, to be part of, to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. We open up ourselves to him. He takes residence here. Um, Really what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the benefits of the kingdom. But before I do, let me just add a couple of other what I believe are necessary foundational aspects of the kingdom to help us fully understand. And I realize some of you have probably done studies in the kingdom and you know this. And for others, uh, you've thought, you know, I always hear about the kingdom, but I, I confess, I don't know if I really understand it. 
And again, that's what we want to unpack over the weeks to come. So uh, to understand the kingdom is to understand that we experience the kingdom of God right now. And we will fully experience the kingdom of God in the future. We experience the kingdom of God now in that the power of God's future kingdom has already come to earth, into history, and into our human experience through the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. And listen to this. Through Jesus' death and his resurrection, we know he overcame sin and he overcame death. But not only did Jesus through his death and resurrection overcome sin and overcome death, but he also overcame Satan. Let's think about this. This is, a, this is very powerful as kingdom citizens. Here's what it means. We know that we have an enemy and we know that his name is Satan. And we know that he has plots, plans, schemes against us. He's always, uh, the demonic influences that live in the world are always coming at us with uh, temptation, addiction, strongholds. Because we experience the kingdom now, because through Jesus' supernatural power, the kingdom has already entered into our human experience, because Jesus overcame death and sin, and he overcame Satan, we don't have to wait for the kingdom to come in the future to, to be free from the bondage, from the strongholds that the enemy continually fires at us. We are... Listen, this should make you want to get up and scream and shout and run. We have an enemy. And his ultimate goal is to steal and to kill and to destroy. And when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he said, uh-uh, not going to happen. You are defeated. And now we can live in freedom. We can live in victory because of that. That's, power. That's what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's incredible. This, the kingdom we experience now is the inward spiritual rule and reign of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. And the kingdom that's yet to come is the kingdom that Jesus will set up. It's a physical kingdom that he'll set up when he returns. So we experience the kingdom now. We'll experience fully the kingdom in the future. So as Christ followers, we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But we have dual citizenship because we do live right here. So we're citizens of this earth. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. So as Christ followers, that's our true citizenship. So really, we're citizens of the temporary and the eternal all at the same time. I said I want to talk about the benefits of the kingdom, and I really do. And you're probably wondering, when are you going to get to Genesis chapter 3? And I really will. Uh, but before I, 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 before I uh, talk about the, the benefits of the kingdom, um, I want to share a story with you. And um, when you hear who the story is about, you're going to say, how are you possibly going to connect that to the kingdom? Uh, I, I actually want to share a story that was passed under me this week, and the story is about Buzz Lightyear. Go ahead and say, how in the world will you possibly connect this? I can. Trust me on this. Um, the story is actually about a little boy named Hagen. Here's a picture of Hagen. 
And um, so Hagen and his family had taken a trip and um, they landed, their plane landed at the Dallas airport. Um, and it wasn't until after Hagen and his family had deboarded the plane and they were in the rental car on to their next destination that they realized that Hagen had left his best buddy, Buzz Lightyear, on the plane. And it was too late to do anything about, not only because they were on the road in the rental car, but the plane had taken off to its next destination, which was Little Rock, Arkansas. So the plane arrives in, in, in Little Rock. It's going to terminate there for the night. And a ramp agent by the name of Jason discovers Buzz Lightyear. And he knows that somewhere there's a little boy that's missing his little buddy. And he becomes the detective. He is determined that he is going to find out who Buzz Lightyear belongs to. And he's going to make sure Buzz Lightyear is returned. So um, he's not sure how he's going to do it. And then suddenly as he's looking at Buzz Lightyear, he sees a name on the bottom of Buzz Lightyear's foot. Hagen. Now, have any, has anybody ever heard? I'd never heard that name before. So, so what he decided is I'm, I'm going to check the flight logs for today and to see how many Hagen's we're flying today. Well, guess what? There was only one. No surprise, right? And so he, he, he comes up with a plan and, and he begins to work out that plan. So several days later, Hagen and his family receive a box at their home. And not only does that box have Buzz Lightyear in it, but the box is decorated with all kinds of Buzz Lightyear kinds of stuff. Look at that. And there's a letter explaining Buzz Lightyear's adventures while he was in the Little Rock Airport. And, the, and there were some pictures. Jason's a really good ramp agent, isn't he? Let's watch Hagen's response when he opens up Buzz Lightyear. It's in the box. What's in the box, bud? Go ahead, open it. What do you think it is? Open it. Remember the airplane trip to Texas? Yeah, remember when you left your buddy on there? Wait, wait. Where'd you leave? What is it? Where is it, bud? What is it? Oh. You want to read this one? Ooh. To Commander Hagen, I'm very excited to return to you upon completing my mission. I was able to explore the airport and spaceport in Little Rock, Arkansas while I was away, and I have included photos of my adventure. My journey has taught me a lot, but I'm so thankful to return to my body, to infinity and beyond, your buddy. Yeah, bud. Who's in there? Get him out. Hurry, hurry. Is it your buzz? Yeah. You think so? How do you know it's yours? Can I check the boot? Yeah. What's it say on the boot? What's it say, bud? What's it say? His boot, does it say hey again? Yeah. Say thank you. Say thank you, Jason, so much for finding my buddy. Isn't that a great story? So let me just give the summary. I give you a really kind of a one sentence summary of this story. Hagen had something that was lost and it was found and restored. That's that's the whole of the story. Something was lost and it was found and restored. Now, here's the connection. The same is true for us. What was lost in the Garden of Eden as a result of the fall has been restored through the kingdom of God. 
through Jesus Christ. Isn't that great news? So let's talk just for the last few minutes about what was lost and what was restored. Um, this is where we get to go to Genesis chapter 3. So turn, you should already be there. I'll go there. Um, I'm going to read to you from chapter 3, but before I do, I want to read a couple of verses from uh, chapter 2. These are very important. It says in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Very foundational. Now let me read from chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the uh, from fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also, um, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and sewed coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God said, called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. <laughs> Pretty typical of us men, huh? Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And then in verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What was lost, what was restored in the kingdom? Well, in the Garden of Eden, as a result of the fall, life was lost. Life was lost. God said, if you eat the fruit from this tree, you will die. And what did they do? They both ate the fruit of the tree. And at that moment, death began its process in Adam and Eve, and as a result of their sin, into all of humanity. The death process began. But there's good news. I want you to listen as I read from Romans chapter 5, verse 17. It says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So, through Adam and Eve's disobedience, and because of the death process that began, life was lost. But because of Jesus and the price he paid, life was restored. And now we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's great news. Um, in the garden... 
As a result of the fall, relationship was lost. Uh, because of their disobedience, uh, because of their sin, and because death was at work in them, uh, the relationship that they had with God, the intimacy that they had experienced with him was, was lost. But again, there's really good news. Listen to Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So again, the relationship was lost because of the sin of disobedience. They hid from God because that relationship was lost. It was broke. The intimacy was gone but now, through Jesus Christ, man has peace with God and the relationship has been restored. Um, in the garden, as a result of the fall, purpose was lost. I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. If you're still near it, you can follow along with me. I'm going to read uh, verses 26, uh, verse 26. Uh, then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. When God created mankind, when he created Adam and Eve, he created them as his representatives. He created them in his image and in his likeness. But again, because of the sin of disobedience, uh, uh, that, was, that was forfeited. The purpose for which man was created for, was, was, perp uh, was, was forfeited. Uh, but again, there, there's, there's good news. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, the scripture tells us that we are Christ ambassadors. That means that what was lost has been restored through Jesus Christ. Again, because of the sin of disobedience, that purpose was lost in the garden, but through Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, it's been restored. We are now his representatives. Uh, in the garden, as a result of the fall, authority was lost. Genesis 1.26, I'm not going to have you look back there again, but it tells us not only that, that, we were, that man was created as Christ, uh, it's God's representatives, but man was given authority to rule over all of creation. But again, because of the sin of disobedience and because of the process of death, that was forfeited. It was no longer valid. But there's good news. Through Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, uh, uh, verse uh, 18, uh, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And then he says, Therefore, go and make disciples. So he says, I have all authority, but I'm, I'm, I'm passing that authority on to you. I'm giving it to you. You go and you, be, you make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we read in Acts 1.8 uh, where Jesus said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. So now, through Jesus Christ, what was lost... The authority, that authority has been restored. We have delegated authority through Jesus Christ. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, in the garden, as a result of the fall, hope. Hope was lost. It's interesting. The story of the fall reveals how the hope of humanity was lost through sin. But in that same story, the hope 
that was to come through Jesus Christ is also revealed. In, 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 uh, chapter, three, in chapter 3, verse 15, uh, it said, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The he, in Genesis 3.15, guess that, that's, that's talking about Jesus. In other words, all the way in Genesis chapter 3 is the first mention of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Bible. God had a plan from the very beginning. And then we know in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And in that we see the hope that we have of eternal life, forgiveness of our sin. And it comes through Jesus Christ and it's available to us as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So everything that was lost in the garden has been restored through Jesus Christ. Everything. Everything has been restored. But here's what I want to ask. As members of God's family, knowing that all these things have been restored to us, knowing that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, do we really understand what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Do we really understand what it means that as citizens of kingdom, we are called to a different kind of lifestyle. That we have a rule, a, a way of life that's been established. It's the Word of God. And do we incorporate that into our everyday life? What does our citizenship look like? Does it look like a citizenship of the kingdom of heaven? And that's what I want to challenge us with today and as we begin to walk series of messages. Can we become a people or can we grow as a people who have a greater understanding of what it means to be kingdom citizens? For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.